Hello and welcome to episode four of The Bible and Me podcast. This episode is hosted by Nigel Watts and our guest today is Brian Broderson, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. The Bible and Me podcast is a series of conversations with influential men and women of God about how the Bible has transformed their lives. I am really uh, delighted to welcome uh, Brian Broderson with us this morning. Uh, welcome, Brian. Thank you, Nigel. Uh, Brian is the senior pastor of Calvary Costa Mesa in California, uh, but travels and teaches internationally um, in different parts of the world, uh, and particularly uh, in Europe. Brian is known for his clear and challenging exposition of the scriptures and can be heard daily on his Bible teaching program, Back to Basics. He's married to Cheryl, uh, the youngest daughter of Pastor Chuck and Kay Smith. Uh, They have four grown children, four grandsons and one granddaughter. So, Brian, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Really wonderful to have you on the program uh, today. Um, How did you come to be a follower of Jesus? Nigel, I... um... I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I grew up in a nominal Catholic home. And so, you know, I always had sort of an understanding of, you know, that there was a God and that Jesus was God's son, that he died on the cross, rose again. But, of course, it really meant, you know, nothing personally to me. And it was in my um, teenage years, you know, I got into the typical things that teenagers would get into (laughs) living in Southern California um, in the surf culture, you know, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, and all of that sort of thing. And uh, in my late teens, there just was this tremendous sense of, of emptiness in my life. And I kind of, in the back of my mind, I knew that God was the answer, but I just didn't know how to connect with God. And so through a process of events, there there came a moment, um, actually, uh, uh, I think a supernatural intervention where God gave me a dream that was so vivid, so real, that I, when I woke up from it, I knew that, okay, I've, I've got to do something about this, you know? <laughs> and uh, it was through that that a few weeks later, um, I was having a conversation with a person and they asked me uh, if I had ever been born again. And even though I didn't quite know um, what that meant, I knew that that was the missing, I knew that was the missing component in my life. And so it was right there that I just asked Christ to come into my life. And, uh, it was a defining moment. It was a, it was a moment that forever changed my life. So really, what yeah. age were you? I was 22. 22. Yeah. And how, was there a dramatic change right away? Yeah. There was. <laughs> yeah. There, were, there was sort of a gradual thing that was happening from the time I was, uh, probably from the time I was 18 or 19. I had my first exposure to sort of a biblical Christianity, but it, I kept it at a distance, you know, because I, you know, I just knew that you're going to have to change your life if you go that direction. And I was doing things that I wanted to keep doing at the time. But, uh, but yeah, by the time I came around, you know, at 22 to really make that decision, my life changed. I mean, literally on the the very day. I mean, from the point of moving out of the house I was living in, moving into a place with a couple of uh, friends who had also become Christians. And we just started living a Christian life. And uh, we saw a a little bit of a revival uh, amongst our 
peer group. So, you know, within three months or so, about 50 of our friends had come to faith. And oh, wow. So, yeah, it was a great time. And you started going to, to church? Yeah, started going to church. Uh, I had had a couple of drop-ins at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, where I'm now the pastor. And um, so I just sort of knew intuitively that I needed to go there because I knew they taught the Bible. And I knew again, sort of intuitively, that I needed to learn the Bible. That was, it was just, I knew it, you know, I, I okay, I got I to gotta learn the Bible, and they teach it over at Calvary Chapel, so I'm going to go there. Well, that must have been a great place to do that. Yeah, a great was. place to do that. Now, you have a background in youth ministry and, and Bible study. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I was fairly young when I became a believer, and so kind of my first introductory to ministry was, was youth ministry. It was sort of a natural fit in my early 20s. And, um, and you know, that, that passion for youth has never left me. It's just been one of those things that sort of drives the ministry. Um, I'm not a youth pastor. I haven't been a youth pastor for many, many years, but we've always had uh, kind of a vision for youth and, a, and an emphasis on youth uh, in the ministry of Calvary Chapel in general and in my ministry more specifically. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, involvement in um, international you know, missions, church planting, most of the stuff that we've done around the world has begun with young people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we go into a, a, a country, into a community, share the gospel, lead some young people to Christ on the streets, and then we've seen, you know, churches develop out of that. And so, yeah, so it's just a continued passion. And then, of course, you know, having my own children, raising them, they've all grown up now, they're all in their 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, They've kind of got the same bug. Wonderful. So, how did you uh, how did you become a pastor? Well, I, you know, it was interesting. I I kind of sensed from the very beginning that there was some sort of call in that direction, but I didn't know. Uh, you know, pastor, I would have never said I want to be a pastor because, in my mind, I only knew one pastor. That was Pastor Chuck Smith. He was a, he was older. He was in his 50s. He had a family. Uh, so to me, it was like, okay, well, that's what a pastor is. I'm not that, mm-hmm. you know. My my thought was more just I was an evangelist. And I wouldn't have even used that term at the time, but I was just a person who was looking to share the gospel with whoever would listen. Mm. Um, but I ended up meeting uh, Pastor Chuck's daughter, and we got engaged, and then we got married. And he knew that I had a desire for ministry so he invited me to come and do some training at Costa Mesa. And my response to him was, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, of course you don't know what to do. That's why I'm asking you to come and I'll give you the training. So again, at the time, I didn't think so much of, well, I'm going to go be a pastor now. It was more like, well, I'm going to you know, train for whatever the ministry means in the future. And it just so happened that as I stepped into that, it, it would just, you know, because th- that gifting was there, God just sort of naturally began to unfold a pastor's, sort of a pastor's heart, you know what I mean by that, where you, you know, you care for people, you want to make sure they are getting fed God's word, they're being cared for, and that, you know, that kind of just developed with me, started with youth ministry, and I was there on the staff as an intern for three years, and then after three years, I went out and did my own church. At 26 years old, I was pastoring a church with people that were in their 80s in it. No. Yeah. And what was that like? Was that a bit of a baptism by fire? It was baptism by fire, yeah. Yeah, but it was an amazing time. It was really a good time. Uh, I actually had um, battled with uh, an illness and 
you would know it as ME, and I had a, a really a pretty severe bout with it back at that time. So it was this strange combination of trying to work through this physical affliction and being a young person who's now pastoring a church, which I'd never done before. Mm -hmm. And just looking back now with hindsight after all these years, just to see how God, um, you know, enabled me to navigate that, that time and taught me a lot of valuable lessons for later on in life. Absolutely. And yeah. um, when did you start um, traveling overseas? Uh, with I, your work. Was that quite early on? Or no, it was, a, it was a bit later. So um, so I began pastoring that church in 1983, and I didn't take my first overseas missions trip till um, probably 1989. Right. And, um, and then once I did that in 1989, then it just sort of snowballed, you know, then I started. It was, it was back at the time, people would know, of course, when the Soviet Union collapsed, all of the Eastern Bloc countries began to open up. And that's where the Lord sent us into the Ukraine, sent us into Russia, sent us into Hungary, sent us into Romania, sent us into what used to be known as Yugoslavia. And that's where we began our church planting mission. And so when you went to these places, how did you go about, how did you go about doing that? Because a yeah. lot of places there, did you have connections before you went, yeah. uh, or was the Lord just opening up yeah. doors and opportunities? Yeah, it was kind of a combination of we had a connection with just, you know, maybe like a couple that we met somewhere that said, why don't you come over to our country and see what happens, you know? I mean, they didn't have any more authority to do anything than anybody else. You know, they were just a couple that loved Jesus and saw that we were excited about the Lord and said, wow, maybe something could happen. So that was our, our first entrance into, we went into Yugoslavia. It was Yugoslavia at the time. It's Serbia now. And um, and then, you know, once we got into the country, then other doors started to open. Mm -hmm. Churches invited us to come. And, well, why don't you come and speak? Why don't you come and do some music? And one thing led to another. We led kids to the Lord right on the streets. Um, and we realized, you know, we needed a church for these young people. So, And the language? What about the language issues? Well, you know, back then, they were very, very interested in English especially in Yugoslavia. Most of the young people spoke English. Uh, we crossed the border into Hungary. Nobody spoke English. The Russians were literally pulling out once we were coming in. So the kids spoke Hungarian and Russian, but they wanted to learn English. So it was a good uh, opportunity for us. You so know? do you speak any of those languages yourself? None. <laughs> <laughs> I had a season where I tried to learn Hungarian. And then, you know, Serbo-Croatian was the other language that, and then I was in Russia, and I was like, okay, there's too, there's too many options here. I just stick with English. Oh. <laughs> we, there's a certain arrogance, isn't there, about the English language, we think, you know. If you don't understand English, then I'll just speak slower and louder until you get it, you know. <laughs> I wish so. I would have learned those other languages. But, you know, when you're in and out of a place, mm. it's very difficult mm. to do that. We had sent lots of people in for church planting over the years who became absolutely fluent uh, I have friends still to this day that are, um, you know, their first language is English, but their second language is maybe Hungarian or Serbian, and people do not know that that's not their first language, so yeah. they became so efficient. Amazing. Uh, in 1996, you moved to London. To London, yes. Our great country here, uh, to plant Calvary Chapel in Westminster. How did this come about? Well, it's, it was sort of connected to the stuff we'd done previously in Eastern Europe. And then as we started to think in terms of Western Europe, um, it just really sort of out of the blue, England kind of just came to me. And now, you know, with hindsight, I realized it, it really was the Lord. I mean, I thought it was back then, but then you never know. <laughs> it was just my imagination. Mm. So I, uh, we had 
you know, as part of Calvary Chapel, we had five churches in the UK that were connected to Calvary Chapel. And so the first thing I did when I sensed that maybe maybe we should come here and do something, I didn't really even know what, I contacted those five churches. I sent them a letter, said, hey, this is what I'm thinking. We'd like to come over. Could we be of any assistance to you in any way? And one of the five churches responded and said, yeah, sure, come on over and let's see what happens. So we came and we did a few outreaches around the country. We brought some music over a band, you know. And uh, But on that trip, I actually just drove through London. That's all I did. I didn't even stop the car, didn't even get out of the car, just drove through London. And in the in the drive-through, just had a strong impression from the Lord that uh, we need to start a church here. So to me, London means like where the queen lives, you know, Buckingham Palace and the parliament and all that. So I start to tell some of my British friends what I'm feeling and they're just looking at me like, no, you, that's impossible. You can't, for one, you can't get a building down there. It's just, there's no places available. Uh, but in my naivety, I just insisted that, no, that, that's where it has to be. So we ended up, uh, to make a long story short, we ended up planting uh, on Palace Street uh, in Westminster, just about a three-minute walk from Buckingham Palace. <laughs> so, that is incredible. Yeah, it was amazing how the Lord opened the door. It was a school, and one of the one of the people that we were connected with in the country, their uh, their son attended the school, and so um, she sort of stepped in for us and saw, you know, if if there was a possibility to use the school hall, and we we rented that school hall, and uh, as the church that I planted is still there today, and still in that school hall today. Is that right? Yeah. How did you find it? I being, absolutely being London loved it. What you, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, we were there for four years, and at the end of the four years, um, I really wanted to stay and carry on. But there was a strong sense the Lord was calling me back to California to work with my father-in-law and to do a transition for him to step out of the role of pastor in the church, and I would step in. And I, I really went kicking and screaming because I loved England. I loved London. Uh, and I was just excited about, you know, what we were doing. It was, I, I felt like uh, we had had a baby, and now the Lord was asking us to give it up for adoption, and I just I really, really struggled with it. But, you know, God knows best, so mm. we went with that lead and uh, went back to... So we came, in, we came in 95, and we went back in 2000 yeah. to California. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, Creation Fest, because... Yes. Um, this is a festival in its fifteenth uh, year. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, there. Are, I think there are creation fests in the states. I think yeah. that that title is used in the states for yeah. various festivals. So, how did the idea for doing a creation fest come about, um, mm -hmm. and how did that journey start? Yeah. So it, it started really in in seed form when I was in London because you know living in London and of course being aware of the 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 festival scene in the country you know i just thought oh, festivals are something that people enjoy doing and uh, i had kind of a connection with the christian music industry and all that so i thought well maybe we could do but but i thought london i thought you know maybe somewhere i lived in the area of twickenham we had a nice uh, park there that looked like an ideal place so so that was my thinking but at the same time uh, because of my surfing background, uh, when I came into the country, I immediately connected with the guys on the West Coast of the surf community. So we ended up starting a little church in a place called Woolacombe in North Devon. And um, so later when the, the festival thing kind of kept coming up, even after I'd gone back to California, um, my colleague Phil Pachonis suggested to me, 
well, why don't we why don't we try it here? Why don't we do it in you know see what happens? Let's just do something in in uh, Willacombe. So we did, and that was the birth of Creation Fest in 2002. So it's actually, this is actually the 16th Creation Fest. The first one was a one-day event that we did that was sort of a test, you know, to see if, <laughs> let's just try this and see what happens. So um, we did the first year, the one-day event. The local churches saw what we did. They thought it looked interesting. They said, well, if you do it again, we'd like to kind of just, you know, partner with you in some way or another. So... That's how everything began. So the next year we did a we did a three day event, and we did that for seven years, mm. and Willacombe. Then eventually, I think it was two thousand and nine, we moved to the Royal Cornwall Showground where we are right now, and we've been here ever since. And what have you seen the Lord do in those intervening years in oh. terms of the yeah. reach and the influence of this festival? Yeah, it's been amazing, and you've been with us for mm. some time, so you know some of the you've seen it grow over the years. I'm just absolutely amazed right now at the like the momentum we have and the impact. You know, we, we came at it very simply with two things. We're going to do um, music that's going to kind of appeal to a broader group of even non-believers. And we're going to do Bible teaching that is going to strengthen the Christians. And we're going to do evangelism. So it's a free festival and we want to keep it free because we want people to invite their atheist neighbors or whoever to come. And to see that happening and to see that increasingly happen with each passing year, it's pretty amazing to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned Phil Petronas a moment ago. Yeah. Um, he's obviously with the Lord now. And yep. that must have been quite a testing time for was everybody. An absolute shocker. I mean, you know, the last thing you ever expected. Phil was 52 when he passed away. And uh, yeah, because we were very much, you know, in a partnership. Um, I had brought Phil to the UK because when I was here, I was doing this Bible study on, on the West Coast. And uh, Phil and I knew each other from our surfing background, but we also knew each other from Russia. Phil was a missionary in Russia, in Moscow. That's where we met. So when he contacted me while I was living here about going back to the mission field to Russia, I said, forget Russia, <laughs> come to England. I got a handful of surfers on the coast that I think you would connect with. So that's that's how that happened. And then, you know, for 13 years, Phil, as you know, we sort of jokingly called him the John Wesley of the day. And he, as John Wesley used to wear out horses, Phil would wear out cars, driving them all over Cornwall and Devon. Um, so when he, when he came, you know, when he got cancer, I mean, obviously we all thought, okay, this is a, this is just a glitch, you know, he will get through the cancer and then we'll move on. But sadly he did not get yeah. through the cancer. Yeah. yeah. And were you in, were you at that time? Cause I think he passed away just before, uh, the festival was about to mm -hmm. go, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, 2014, I think. Were yeah. you, were you questioning the, the future of the festival? Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely. You yeah. Were. Yeah. Because without Phil, it just seemed like, well, how do, how do we keep going? Because he really was the boots on the ground. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the U S I'm in California. I'm here a few times a year, but how do you keep a festival going? You know, from, from the States, I knew it was impossible. So we seriously thought that maybe it's run its course. Maybe it's time to just, you know, we did it and now it's, it's over. And you know, the Lord really spoke to me and said, no, you're just getting started. Phil laid the foundation. Now you just need to keep building on it. And so, uh, as you know, the Lord raised up an unlikely person to kind of step into Phil's role, uh, a woman, a young woman <laughs> named Sarah Yardley. Mm. 
And uh, she has, the Lord's used her to kind of take everything to a whole nother level. So it's been amazing. Mm -hmm. And Sarah is, she's a, she's a phenomenal young lady, I have to say. She's a great Bible teacher. Yeah. She's a, a, a wonderful networker. She's, yeah. she's, she's on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she really is, you know, the, the, as far as the succession, you know, with Phil, she's taken things to a level that Phil, even if he had, you know, still been alive, he would, he would have not have been able to take them there. Yeah. She just has this unique yeah. gifting. She has, hasn't she? Yeah. She really has. She really has. Um, now, uh, you are a husband, uh, a father, your grandfather. I am um, a grandfather. You're a grandfather. And five times over. Five times <laughs> over. Well, I just discovered this week that my eldest son got engaged, <laughs> so I'm thrilled about that. So um, how has being a dad, father, grandfather, influenced your ministry? Hugely, hugely. And I've said this many times in preaching that, um, you know, I came from a broken home and my parents divorced when I was young. But I, but I still had a good relationship with my dad, you know, even though it was fragmented and even though I, you know, sometimes I wouldn't see him for a long period of time. Um, but with my own children, what I really began to understand was the love of God, you know. My love for them is so intense. And I realized that, well, this is just a, a, a shadow of God's love for me. So it really, you know, that passage in Psalm 103, it says, as the, as the Lord... Or as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And that to me is like, yes, I know exactly what that's like as a father pities his children. And then to think that that's how God sees me. Mm -hmm. So it's really been, and, and now with five grandchildren, you know, it's, it's the same way. <laughs> because as much as you love your children, you kind of, you don't love your grandchildren more, but you love them in a different way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Um, how are you spending your time these days? Um, I am spending my time doing lots and lots of things. I'm extremely busy, uh, busier than I've probably ever been in my whole life, actually. So, you know, I pastor a church, and the church has various uh, extended ministries from Bible colleges to conference centers to radio stations. And so I, you know, sort of manage all of that as the the senior pastor of the church. This festival is connected to that. Um, and, you know, church planting has been my big passion for the past 25, 30 years. So I still am doing what I can to try to promote, you know, new churches being planted all over the world. So I'm not limited. I started off in Europe and then the UK. And, you know, it's funny when I was living in London, I, and I've told people this, I came to, I came to London with a vision for Europe and the UK. I left London with a vision for the world. Wow. And, you know, London is full of everybody in the world's in London, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so that's how, that's how my vision grew. So yeah. since I've, since I've gone back to California, I've done a lot of ministry in South America, Central America, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, a little bit in Africa. And, uh, and then, you know, although I don't personally go to Asia, we have, uh, I have a staff, a team that goes and they do a lot of stuff in Asia. So. And, and with all your traveling and connections around the world, how would you describe what God is doing in different places around? The, I know that's, a, that's maybe a different question, but yeah. um, what, what do you sense that he's, that he's doing? Well, you know, I, what I sense he's doing, Nigel, is I, I sense, you know, he's building his church. And I think it's just, you know, the church is God's bride right and 
the church is God's main concern. The world is kind of doing what it's doing and going where it's going, and we already know where it's going. The scriptures tell us that. And But yet, it, I always marvel at you know all the chaos going on in the world, and then you come to some little place and you just see God is beautifully at work. And it, it just reminds me of the life of Jesus, you know, because Jesus comes into the world at a completely chaotic point in history. And the whole world is kind of just imploding around him. You know, the Romans are there in and, and Israel and they're oppressing the Jews and, you know, life is difficult for everybody. And Jesus is just, you know, roaming around Galilee, <laughs> casting out demons and raising the dead and healing the sick. And, and, and you know, it just seems like the Lord's still doing that today. Yeah. And, um, you know, the tendency as maybe you can relate to, as you, you kind of look at the world and you think, gosh, Lord, how do I fix this thing? Or it's such a mess, or what do we do about this? And the Lord just says to me, Brian, that's my problem. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take care of the world. You just focus on what I, the little bit I called you to do over here. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, you mentioned Jesus uh, just now, and there may be people that are listening uh, who may not be believers. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to those people about Jesus and... Um, and why you follow Jesus, why he's so central? Well, it, you know, it, it comes down to this. If Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, then every single human being needs to bow their knee and confess him as Lord. Because the Bible, of course, says that he's God, the Son. He's the creator of all things. He created us. Uh, he became a man in order to reconcile us to God, our sins separated us from God. So if all of that's true, then every single one of us, like Paul said uh, to the Athenians, he said, uh, God commands all men everywhere to repent, for he's appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness, and he's going to judge the world through the man, Jesus Christ. He proved that he is his, his anointed servant by raising him from the dead. So to me, it's just like, okay, if all of this is true, then I, I owe my heart and soul to Jesus. Mm -hmm. If it's not true, then just go on and do what you're doing. But um, I am of the firm belief that it is absolutely true. And, and anybody that uh, maybe is not at that place of having you know, met Christ, I would encourage them to really, before they dismiss this, they really ought to look at the case for Christ because it's... Uh, in my opinion, it's irrefutable. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Okay, um, I want to move on to talk about the the Bible. You've you've mentioned um, some Bible verses there, and um, how important is the Bible to you, and why is that so? The Bible is the most important thing in my life, for sure, and because it it is God's word. It's you know, if you want to call it the instruction manual for life, but I mean, is that it is that? But it's more than that, because it's it's also God's uh, love letter to us. It's God's way of um, revealing Himself to us. And as Jesus put it, man cannot live by bread only, but must live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, uh, I learned in my you know twenty plus years of um, kind of living life my own way that uh, nothing, you know, nothing satisfies, nothing fulfills, nothing meets that deepest hunger in the human heart like Christ and nothing feeds us like the Bible, God's Word. How do you, um, how do you go about studying it? I know you're preaching a lot, you're teaching a lot. Yeah. How, do, how does that work for you? 
Well, I, you know, I have both the, the personal aspect of my Bible time, meditation, devotion, reading, whatever, however you want to uh, define it. And then, of course, I have times where it's more, I'm approaching it from the standpoint of research, I'm approaching it from the standpoint of uh, information and facts, because I'm teaching it, you know, to other people. Um, but but I think those things overlap too. So I try to not separate them too much because I want in my more sort of intellectual approach to it, I want to have the spirit speaking to me. And in my devotional approach to it, I also um, want to have the Lord show me some of the facts and some of the history and those things that, you know, tie it all together. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Bible is a historical document. So you want to see how God has worked uh, in the lives of people all throughout history because it's a picture of how he works in people's lives today. Mm. Wonderful. Um, for those struggling to study the Bible, what advice might you give them? Well, you know, this, this is a bit challenging because I think, you know, different people have different ways of, of learning, of taking in things. Uh, I'm one of those people that's not, I, I am not like a, so much of a systematic person, you know, I, I'm sort of, <laughs> it, it's, it's sort of haphazard for me in, in some senses, you know. What I have done all of my years as a Christian is I've just read through my Bible. So I just read through the Bible over and over again. That's, that's what I do just sort of as, you know, for me personally. Uh, apart from the study part of it, I just try to, you know, I would read, Old Testament Genesis through to Malachi, New Testament Matthew through to Revelation. A lot of times I read the New Testament in the morning, the Old Testament in the evening. Um, nowadays, in the last few years, I've found myself sort of breaking away from that, not for any reason other than just feeling like there are certain books that just stand out to me at certain points in time, and, and so I'll just go to that book and I'll just spend time there. I'll just meditate there. I just I just read through Revelation again. And I, it wasn't because I came to the end of the Bible. It was just because I just had a sense like, you know, I, I just want to meditate on Revelation for a while. So I did that. Mm. Uh, of course, there are many uh, amazing tools, you know, things to help people be maybe more systematic or, uh, you know, different approaches, of course, with you and precepts and all of that, you know, the inductive method and, and all of that. Mm. Many people are, are greatly benefited by that. Mm. That just doesn't work with my brain. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so, sure. so I like to I like to keep that that openness to the fact that not you know, not one thing does not fit yeah. for everybody. Yeah, and, we, and we recognize that too. Yeah. We recognize that too. Um, this may be a tough question, Brian. Uh, do you have a favorite Bible book or character? <laughs> oh, it is a tough question because I actually have many favorite Bible <laughs> books. Um, l let me give you two. Old Testament and New. Okay. okay. I'll, let, I'll let you have that. Genesis one. has to be my favorite Old Testament mm. book. And uh, I would say probably the Gospel of John would be my favorite New Testament book. Although Romans could run a close second, Hebrews could run a <laughs> Revelation, you know. So so it's it's hard to say this is absolutely my favorite, but... So why Genesis? Um, you know, Genesis because it is the beginning of everything. And um, of course it gives us the, you know, the history of the universe, our origins, where we came from, what life is all about, 
because God created us and why the world is the way it is because man rebelled against God. But then the, you know, the, the promise of, of a redeemer, all of that in the first few chapters of Genesis. But then when I really, uh, you know, you, you've got these stories. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a history of redemption and you've got the life of Abraham. You've got the life of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And in all of those people's lives, you have just these, not only are they just really interesting stories, but you have all these amazing life lessons, you know, from their stories. So, so I particularly like Genesis and uh, have taught it and have read it several times and really, I, I like it. It, it. it always speaks to me. And of course, um, you know, the whole creation story, the creation event mm -hmm. is under, has been for, for many years, a huge attack, Yeah, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, yeah. And, and, you know, somebody, a friend of mine and I were talking yesterday about this very thing, and, you know, he said this, and I agree with him. He said, you know, look, if you can, if you can believe that, that Christ died and rose again, is it really that hard to believe that God could create the world? and that it would just take him six days. I mean, you know, that, for me, that's not hard. I, I, don't, I don't struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I know people do, mm -hmm. you know. I, I just, to me, it, it's like, well, didn't seem like a problem to He's God. God, after all. He's God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like somebody has once said, you know, if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, everything else should come fairly easily. In the <laughs> beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So yeah. I do believe that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, do you have a favorite um, Bible character, maybe? Um, I, you know, I would, I would probably have to say Paul because I, I identify with Paul. I identify with him and his mission. Um, I identify with him and his suffering. He, you know, he suffered more than the other apostles. I've had some suffering in my life through physical infirmity and all of that. So I, I think Paul, I would probably resonate most with Paul. Mm. And what about a favorite Bible verse? And again, that's probably a tough question. Yeah. As a Bible teacher. That is a tough question. But, you know, maybe um, the words of Jesus to Paul, um, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. That verse has, it's kind of been, been my life verse mm. for the past 30 years. So, although I could probably give you a list of favorite verses... <laughs> That one might be at the very top. Yeah, sure. Well, Brian, I just want to um, you know, thank you for uh, the ministry that you're having in the UK. And that's, that's been going on for some time now. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you've done with Creation Fest. Uh, to see this year particularly um, what I think is more people than ever coming here. Yeah. Uh, and probably from further afield across the UK. Uh, yeah. I was just speaking to somebody at coffee this morning. Um, been here, for, come here for the first time. Is that right? Yeah, first time. Heard about it, but never been. And just here for 24, 36 hours and said, you know what, I think we're going to bring our youth group back <laughs> next year. And I have heard that same thing over and over again over the years. Have you know? you? That's what happens, yeah. And I think I think the fact is that um, you're able to, to offer this at no charge um, is an incredible blessing to so many people. Yeah. Um, and uh, the stories that I've heard, I'm sure you've heard, um, while, while Creation Fest has been going, have been just amazing. From, yeah. from young people to come into faith, um, 
Runo Kay has been at, at the festival this, this uh, year and uh, she was giving a very clear explanation of the crucifixion. Mm. And at the end of her talk, this young 15-year-old came up literally sobbing, mm. yeah. having given his life uh, to yeah. Christ. I've heard about that story, yeah. It's just, amazing. Isn't it wonderful? That's and, and that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. So, yeah. so thank you for... Um, for you know, there was a time when we sent missionaries across the world. <laughs> yes. And, you know, we're, we're receiving them back to our country. Yeah. Now. So thank you for your, you know, your passion for us over here. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for the time that you dedicate to invest over here. Yeah. We, we genuinely uh, thank you and appreciate yeah. it so much. Well, thank you. And I, I, I feel the love. <laughs> I sense that appreciation from so many in the country and I... I really, I feel it's a real privilege, you know, from the Lord to be able to minister in this country and to be able to have, you know, for us, for my family, it's really sort of our second home. And so we just, we always feel very, very welcomed here. Well, thanks for joining us on the program today. All right. Thank you, Nigel. You have been listening to The Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at PreceptMinUK.